welcome to Beauty Will Save the World. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Susie Solaviv. I am a narrative consultant working for myself, a cradle Orthodox Christian from a convert family, married to Gregory. We have one daughter. We live outside of Boston, and I read way too many books. I'm Rebecca Lonovich. I love the Orthodox Christian Church, and I want to share conversations here about the faith from our hybrid cradle convert perspective. I'm married to Victor, the best person in the world, and together we have three sons and live in the Pennsylvania wilds. This podcast is about faith and friendship, family and food, feminism, books, Netflix, art, and music. All the things. Most of all, it is about our experiences of beauty that brings us deeper into the love of God. Well, how are you, Susie? I feel like it's been forever since I talked to you. I miss our weekly chat. I do what I can. After our last session, Greg was like, is everything okay? And I was like, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it just sounded intense. I guess it was a little intense. <laughs> talking about our last uh, coaching session. Oh, yeah. No, it was intense in a good way. It was in a good way. Good. Yeah. The last time, Ella, it was time to make her go to sleep in her room by herself. So we were trying to sit outside. Like, we were actually sitting in the door frame, And it just was not, it was not going well. <laughs> oh. How did, so how are you doing with that? How is it going? Well, it's going. Greg's up there right now sitting outside her door. So like it's, you know, we have not given in. And I think that's the most important thing. <laughs> you know, yeah, I I don't have any wise words. I mean, my boys transitioned really well like champs and all three of them. And it was not a struggle. And then, I mean, like there was like maybe a few nights where I know it was a little bit of a issue, but we kind of swapped out. Like when I was getting to like the end of my tips and tricks, Victor would swap in and, you know, try something different and it was like soothing and calming and stuff. And so in the end, it only took like two or three nights with Luca and Roman and Nico. Oh man, he transitioned from sleeping in our room in his little crib to sleeping in his own room in 10 minutes in one night, Susie. Whoa. She was an angel baby. Amazing. Yeah, it just worked out for me. It's all about the personality, I think, of the kid, honestly. Well, did you have your kids sleeping in your bed when they were little? Yes. Uh, Two of them. Nico never actually slept with us, but Luca did, and then kind of pretty much in the beginning. And then Roman actually did so well sleeping on his own until he couldn't be swaddled anymore. And when he was too old for swaddling, he wouldn't settle in to sleep. And so he ended up being with us for, well, actually, we just got him out of our bed this past spring. Yay, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a whole new world. <laughs> it's so relaxing, you go into your bed at night, and there's nobody kicking you, tossing and turning. It's so relaxing. It feels like Every night at a hotel. I mean, Ella co-slept with us pretty solidly until she was a year old. And then off and on throughout her second year, like more on than off. And she completely backslid during COVID. It's been a journey. And like, I didn't really want to kick her out during COVID. Like she ended up in our bed pretty much every night. And 
Yeah. Get it. <laughs> She's gotten a lot bigger and we only have a queen size bed. And so it's just not feasible anymore. <laughs> right. So she still comes in in the mornings and that's fine. Like if she comes in in the early morning, I don't care. But uh-huh. she was, she was still only going to sleep with us sitting in the room. For a long time, we had to hold her hand. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet, though. <laughs> so then we transitioned to sitting next to the bed, and then we sat a little further away, and now we're trying to get her to go to sleep while we're within earshot, but not in the room. Yeah. And yeah, she is a strong woman. Oh, yeah. That will be a huge benefit to her, you know, throughout her life. And it's just a little bit of a disadvantage for you at the moment. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> she pitched huge fits the first couple of nights tonight seems knock on wood to be going a little better but I don't know I'm not up there so it's great for me I think it helps too like when they are going to transition if they already have a brother or sister in the room with them Mm -hmm. so they're not all by themselves you know so I think I think that helped with for example Luca going in with Nico that that made the transition easier and then Roman going in with Nico and Luca, he, you know, had people with him and Nico is very sweet with him and like very consoling. And I think that helped. So next time it'll be easier, Susie. She says drinking her wine. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, speaking of wine, actually, I took a break from drinking. Well, I'll tell you, Susie, I plumbed the depths of my despair during that (laughs) with nothing to cushion the fall. But before, you know, COVID, if it had been a stressful day to have like a drink or two was, you know, an easy way to cope with everyday stresses. But then when every day was hugely stressful, like that's not long-term sustainable as a coping mechanism. So I was like, well, I guess I need to try to work on my other skills as far as, you know, relaxing and de-stressing and stuff like that. I can't say I really acquired many new skills in that area, but I did notice I slept better. I slept better and I woke up better. And that's a really nice thing. I know that alcohol um, interrupts sleep patterns and stuff. And I found that to be a a true experience for me. So I'll probably try to kind of keep it at a minimum from now on just because sleep is a big deal for me and it's worth a lot. Yes. For me, I have found that it aggravates my anxiety a lot the next day. That said, I have been having, I've been trying not to have a drink every day, but I have had a drink almost every night during COVID. (laughs) And I just turned into like an end of day ritual. Yeah. Yeah. Just something to look forward to sometimes. And I mean, that's kind of what it was for me. It's just like, just something to look forward to. Like there wasn't much else, you know, going on that was like a little perk in my day, you know? Yeah. So seven or more drinks in a week is considered excessive or heavy drinking for women. I mean, I hate that when they're like, oh, but for women, like, come on now. No, no, it is. It is. Women's bodies metabolize it somewhat differently. Yes. But... Like, fair is fair, and that's not fair. (laughs) Um, It's 12 for men. Well, women have a higher, let's see, this website, addictioncampuses.com. What a cheerful site. Women's bodies are typically smaller, so they have less body water and higher liver-to-lean body mass ratio. It's a nice way of saying that we have more fat. Yes. 
<laughs> it's not actually not that nice of a way of saying it. Yes. Did you remember a couple of years ago, was it the CDC or another like nationwide health board put out a recommendation across the board that basically any woman of childbearing age shouldn't drink at all? Do you remember that? I think at that point it gets a little bit sexist, honestly. It's like, you know, they can't trust people to make up their own semi-informed choices, you know, just going to make a blanket statement on that. I'm just, I'm I'm a little distressed right now that, okay, so the CDC says heavy drinking is typically defined as eight drinks or more per week. Okay. So that makes me feel a little better because I was just like, oh yeah, I've been having like one drink a day. (laughs) Um, And I've been super strict about it and I try not to have it every day, but it's just like someday, like some days it's just, yeah, but I'm um, incredibly paranoid about becoming an alcoholic. It's one of most, one of those anxieties that just crops up for me that like, oh no, what if I'm an alcoholic? And, you know, I drank more heavily in college for sure, for sure. Because uh, uh-huh. I was an idiot, and because that's what everybody does. You and I talked at one point about uh, the alternative rituals. Like we talked about having a cup of tea and you know reading a book or writing in a journal and so on, right. so on and so forth. But I have yet to find something that feels as socially satisfying. I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's because alcohol is a drug. Who knows. <laughs> <laughs> It could be. Yes. I will say as a substitute, I have found that I'm not exactly recommending this, but I don't think it's harmful. (laughs) If you get extra sleepy time tea, it's called extra sleepy time and it comes in a big box. And I put four tea bags in a (laughs) thermos, (laughs) hot water in there. That is a very soothing beverage. I think as much as any glass of wine, I I drink all that. Plus it takes a while. That's one of the reasons I like hot drinks. I find that when I drink cool drinks, I drink them way too quickly. Yes. Speaking of cool drinks, this is a big problem in my life right now, which is that Walmart can't keep stocked on Cherry Coke Zero. I don't know what's going on, but it's a problem. Shame on you. I mean, like that is their one job is to keep stocked on the things that people (laughs) need that aren't healthy, but that they need. I mean, that's what Walmart is for. That's why we have it. And they are falling down on that job. So Walmart, get better. (laughs) Be better. (laughs) Walmart. So yeah. So I guess we've covered beverages. Anything else we have? Anything else? Water is just the worst. You know, water is the worst. It is. (laughs) (laughs) I really like sparkling water. That's my jam. Uh Uh, (laughs) I, but apparently sparkling water is really, really bad for the enamel on your teeth. So what was our topic for today? Um, yeah, we just had to catch up and talk about our favorite drinks. Actually, this is supposed to be our inaugural episode. We will probably have to... We just dedicated like 20 minutes to talking about booze. <laughs> it wasn't just about booze. There was tea, there was Coke Zero, there was water, there was sparkling water. I mean, yeah. it was, I wouldn't say comprehensive, but it was varied. That's true. It was a nice sampler. It was like a charcuterie board. An elegant charcuterie board of beverages. Yeah, so this is Beauty Will Save the World. And we're not saints. Sometimes we like to have a drink. Also, saints sometimes have a drink. And that's quite normal and all right. We were going to have this be our first episode. And we actually recorded it already. And then it was not a good recording. So we have to re-record it. And I just wanted to talk about what 
that title for our podcast means for us and what our goal is with this podcast. Is that okay? And we might cut and paste that beverage discussion. We'll see. But I think it's important to establish rapport with the listener. Don't you think, Susie? I agree. A hundred percent. I think, yes. I think it's important to weed out the people who can't handle us or leave. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if you're not cool, you can't listen to us. You can't sit here. All right. So beauty will save the world. Rebecca, you're the one who came up with the name for the podcast. So tell us about your inspiration. Well, the phrase comes from Dostoevsky's beauty in, in this sense is, is truly like the love of God and the, the love of God in our hearts and shed abroad in the world. And it is that, which is, you know, the very essence of beauty, all beauty will save the world, has saved, will save, and is is saving the world. It's actually from The Idiot. It's it not, is? Yeah, it's not from Brothers Karamazov, which I guess is why I can't remember it. I'm really glad you said that. I'm going to have to restructure everything as far as like my worldview. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but yes. Yeah. I'm going to have to look that up, and then I guess I'll have to read that one. Okay. What is that one about? I haven't read it. I Googled it. The first thing that came up was an article from St. Peter Orthodox Church, which Mm -hmm. is an Antiochian church in southwest Florida. And they have a really nice website background where there's St. Peter and then an ocean, and it makes me want to go to there. And then there are pelicans at the bottom of the page. Anyway, so... This is an article by Vladimir Solovyov. Good last name. In his, okay, so he says about Dostoevsky, in his being a religious person, he was at the same time a free thinker and a powerful artist. These three aspects, these three higher concerns were not differentiated in him and did not exclude one another, but entered indivisibly into all his activity. In his convictions, he never separated truth from good and beauty. In his artistic creativity, he never placed beauty apart from the good and the true. And he was right because these three live only in their unity. The good taken separately from truth and beauty is only an indistinct feeling, a powerless upwelling. Truth taken abstractly is an empty word and beauty without truth and the good is an idol. For Dostoevsky, these were three inseparable forms of one absolute idea, idea of the capital I. The infinity of the human soul having been revealed in Christ and capable of fitting into itself all the boundlessness of divinity is at one and the same time both the greatest good, the highest truth, and the most perfect beauty. Oh, that's beautiful. And true. That's really orthodox what he said about the truth and the goodness and the beauty are only themselves in unity with each other. Yeah. And I think that I found that to be a theme in the last few years for me, you know, learning more about the faith, the necessity of integrating ourselves instead of thinking of ourselves as like a mind and, and then a body and then a soul, like we're one person and kind of extending that to like relationships and community. It's not correct. And it's against who we really are to think of things as separate silos or not touching each other or not being part of a whole and just like one example, I see the damage that that kind of thinking causes is in actually medicine, which is me and my profession. I'm a nurse. And you see how there's different disciplines for every you know, every part of the body. And they don't 
work together and they don't communicate, there's the way that would most benefit the health of the patient. And like, for example, like psychology is a completely separate discipline from medical science, basically. And even though everything that happens uh, in your mind that goes on affects everything in your body and everything in your body affects everything in your mind, somehow, you know, it's just completely normal and every day to imagine that those things are separate and that they have to be dealt with in different, completely separate ways and to maintain a strict division. And I mean, you can see the effects, the horrible effects of that in our population, in healthcare, and in our relationships, in our society. And that's just like one example, but yeah. So I'm really glad he pointed that out in the article. What's coming up for me is, it's a little bit different, maybe because I'm not in healthcare, but what I'm thinking about now is how the ugly truth never seems to be the finished truth or the whole hmm. truth. You know, when you find out some bad news or you find out something sad about someone else, it never, to me, feels like it's the whole story or or the end of the road. It feels like something else is coming, and it does. I guess we humans don't want to end stories on a sad note or on an ugly note. It, I guess ugliness feels unfinished. Right. So interesting that, yes, that particular phrase, the ugly truth, we say that all the time. But you're right. If it's ugly, then it's not all the truth. That's very wise, Susie. Oh, I do what I can. <laughs> you know, I, I haven't read The Idiot, and I don't know what it's about, but I do get the sense in the brothers Karamazov that there's that same feeling, especially because there are the three brothers. What were the three things again? It was beauty, truth, truth and, goodness. and goodness. Yeah. So I think you can see that in the three brothers and brothers Karamazov. Although I can't speak for the Dimitri section because I hated it so much and it almost stopped me from reading the book. Which brother was Dimitri? Dimitri was the, the one who goes off and has that feast with the people and he's just kind of corrupt and rotten for a while. Was he he wasn't the oldest. The oldest one was kinda of like the cerebral one, right? Like the yeah. one who was who is interested like in the intellectual life. Yeah, the youngest is the one who's interested in the spiritual, and he has the father confessor. Right. Okay. So I did start it. I got, I don't know, a couple chapters in, and I don't know, life got in the way. But so I have read like a tiny bit of it. And there was one particular passage that I just was so affected by, and I had to, I had to acknowledge that it was a very deeply felt work you know, by Dostoevsky. Passage was it? It was towards the beginning when everybody has assembled at the monastery to talk to Elder Zosima. Was that, yeah, that Elder name? Zosima. And, you know, each person comes in turn and presents their problem to the elder. And then one woman comes and talks about her little child who has died. And about her grief and how she can't see her way through it and doesn't even really want to because to lose her grief for her child is to lose her child, you know, the last that she has of him. And I was so touched. I don't, I told you this before, but I'm not really a crier, especially in like movies or things like that. I just really try to avoid 
that expression. <laughs> but when I was reading it, I was weeping and I was so, so touched. And, you know, it turns out that Dostoevsky himself lost a child the same age as the child in the book, three years old. His son had epilepsy, which Dostoevsky also had. And he died at age three from the disease. And I think Victor told me that that Dostoevsky sort of pictured the brothers Karamazov and especially the character Alyosha as who his son would have become if he had lived. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. It is on my list of books to read and to engage in a little bit more, I guess. I guess I don't really have an excuse anymore not to do it. If we're doing a podcast with a quote from Dostoevsky, now I have to read two of his books, The Idiot and <laughs> The Brothers. The Brothers. I have three sons, everybody, by the way. And when we found out that our third child was going to be a boy, I told Victor that we're either getting started on a Russian epic novel or a Russian fairy tale. And either way, we have achieved peak procreation. <laughs> 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 like in the Russian tradition, I think, right, Susie? <laughs> yes, totally. Um, so my husband is the oldest of three boys, as you know, Rebecca. Yeah. Um, and I had never thought about it that way, but truly, the the three of them are so different. I feel like they could be they could be fairy tale characters themselves, really <laughs> successfully. You've got you've got Greg, who's the intellectual, and then Dimitri, who's the healer, and then Patty is like this child of nature. <laughs> oh, pretty good. Start. That does sound like a good start for a story, right? <laughs> I have a client, Nikki Kotar, who writes uh, fiction based on Russian fairy tales. But honestly, like I don't read Russian fairy tales very much ever. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> Do you want to have nightmares? Do you want your child to have bad dreams and scream in their sleeps? Great. <laughs> I've got this story for you. <laughs> Maybe that should be one of our future episodes. We should read some Russian fairy tales and tell them oh, to each yeah. other. <laughs> that would be a good, you know, in a literal sense, it is where mythology comes from. But it's all, <laughs> or it is a mythology, but it's also sort of a theme in a lot of, of Russian culture and like stories that we tell about ourselves and things like that. Tells us what the world should look like. Right, right kind of how to organize things and kind of how to understand them or like what to watch out for. Right. Definitely. Anybody with chicken legs, always a bad situation. Stay away from that. So I wanted to talk about particularly about beauty and what our understanding of it is and how we want to talk about it in this podcast. And probably honestly, the best quote other than the one that you read, Susie, about beauty comes from who else but C.S. Lewis. Have you read his on book till we have faces no actually i haven't it's probably the best book i ever read i've never and, read his fiction except for um, the children's books of course this is his best work hands down i think it could really be thought of as sort of a parable about theosis if you can kind of picture that so you know he was a professor of medieval literature i think but he had always felt that the story of Cupid and Psyche had a mistake, an error in, the, in it. Mm-hmm. And he undertook to correct it in his own retelling of the myth. And I can't recommend it highly enough to anyone, even if you're not super into religion or anything like that. It's just a really good 
story. It's interesting and all the characters are very vivid. The main character is a woman and it's sort of rare, I would say. It does feel deeply authentic that he seems to understand and give her her due, which I don't think a lot of male authors do. It is a beautiful work and one of my favorites. And the quote that I wanted to share from it comes towards the end of the story when the main character is coming to the end of her journey where she has been seeking to be reunited with her beloved sister who had been taken from her by this sort of mysterious god. And she says, The sweetest thing in all my life has been the longing to reach the mountain, to find the place where all the beauty came from, my country, the place where I ought to have been born. And I think that's where we're all looking for and going for. Our goal is to get to the place where we ought to have been born, to who we are meant to be, to be truly human and and to be united with God. And so I think there's not really a better way to, you know, kind of describe what our lofty goal for this podcast, but to sort of just talk about and engage in those beautiful things that come from where all the beauty comes from and where we ought to have been born, where we ought to be. So I got up to try to find my copy of The Last Battle, and it turns out that I don't have a copy of The Last Battle. But there's a very similar quote in there, or a quote that reminds me of your quote. You know, after the world ends and they're all um, in the field beyond the door, they're going up and in and up and in. And at some point, one of the characters says, now I understand why I love this, why we loved Narnia or the earth so much. It's because sometimes it reminded us of this place. Right. Yes. I think that's what we want to talk about is just like those things that sort of lead us there, those things that draw us there, you know, those sort of everyday things, beautiful things, transcendent moments, relationships that give us sort of a glimpse of that, that love and that place. Okay, there's also that quote from Philippians. This is the NIV, which I don't like as much as the King James, but whatever. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Yes. So, I mean, somewhere in there, I think, you know, a discussion of beverages does fit fit in. (laughs) But, you know, we're on our way. I'm not a terribly elevated person. So here is the secret. Everybody (laughs) believes that they are a mess. Yeah. I was thinking maybe we could experiment with sharing like a moment of ordinary beauty in our week. Oh, yes, that's a good idea. Do you have one that you'd like to share? Sure. I just thought of one yesterday. So we have friends who were in a COVID pod with. They come over three times a week so our kids can play together. And also so that we have a social outlet because honestly, like we're so, like everybody knows what this experience is like and it's not ideal. But yeah, so they came over and I was playing outside with the two girls And it started raining and the three of us were dancing in the rain. We started ring around the rosy and the girls were opening their mouths and they were trying to catch uh, raindrops in their mouths. 
And I had to tell them, stick out your tongues, because <laughs> they didn't know, because <laughs> they're so little. And yeah, that was, that I think was my ordinary moment of beauty. It was just like a moment where we were in harmony with nature. We weren't fighting back against the rain. We we're enjoying it. Oh, that's lovely. And of course, with small children, like they force you to live in the moment. <laughs> yes, yes. What about you? Do you have one for this week? Well, one of my favorite things about this house where we live is that it's surrounded by woods on all sides. And we don't have air conditioning. Actually, the climate here is pretty temperate as far as summer goes. So it's not often terribly hot. And one evening last week, one of my favorite things happened. In the evening, it was a little bit breezy and the wind comes through the woods and sort of gusts into the house. And it's just like the most fragrant, refreshing, lovely little puff of wind, and you know, in your face here and there. Like, so you walk through the house, it just sort of finds you. And it just feels like a little gift every time, like a little, just like a reminder of like, God is good. And he cares about me, if that makes sense. Just like a little reminder. It's nice to hang on to those, especially right now, because church with children is so frustrating. Yes, I know. It's the challenge. It's just like keeping your temper, like just keeping your temper, like just gritting your teeth and keeping your temper. Yes. You know, an hour and a half. Are you guys able to go to church yet? Yes. We go about once every other week because our priest does have to split his time between two parishes. So on the weekends that our regular parish has a reader service, we just stay home and have a reader service here. But then when the priest is at our church and serving liturgy, then we can, then we go. But it's a lovely, and actually it was a wonderful gift for them. They have had the building that they're in for, I think since the eighties and it's really nice. But it's not handicap accessible, and to modify it was just prohibitively expensive. Well, the Catholic Diocese of Erie is consolidating a little bit, and there were three Catholic churches in town and one Byzantine Catholic. <laughs> so it's a lot of Catholic churches in a small town in Dubois. And they decided to close the Lithuanian one because it was like the Italian Catholic, the, was it German Catholic or either German Catholic or Irish Catholic, maybe? church and then the Lithuanian Catholic. And so the Lithuanian one, St. Joseph's, had to consolidate. And so they wanted it to still remain a church. And so they gave it to St. Nicholas, our parish, for a really, really, really good price. So it's beautiful. We can walk, practically walk into it off the street without any stairs and has an elevator and everything that, you know, you could need for handicap accessibility. And I'm just so happy for them. You know, they've worked and struggled for so long to have this beautiful new church that they can be in. And I'm just really happy about that. So that's just something special going on down here. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. So let's see what else did I? Oh, I feel like you and all of our many listeners <laughs> need to know that I saw a rattlesnake two weeks ago. Oh my first God. time in my life. <laughs> no, no, not okay. No, it was not, Susie. It was not okay. Because <laughs> we can't go anywhere. It's, you know, coronavirus summer and we can't go anywhere. We can't do anything. It's the worst. And in an effort to shake off the blues, we decided to go on a fun family hike in the Kahana Wilds about 30 minutes from our house. Unknown to us, it is also a snake infested wasteland. 
Um, we did not do our research. <laughs> I was really worried about snakes. I just was. I know that they are common around here. We don't have any on our property as far as we know any any rattlesnakes, but they are in town. And I was really looking at I was looking at the whole time. We were only on the trail for about 15 minutes and the three boys were in front of us. And then it was Victor and then me bringing up the rear. And I, I was, you know, like peering everywhere, looking for a snake, looking for a snake. And then Victor just kind of gasped and stopped. And he's like, don't move. <laughs> <laughs> and there it was, Susie, on the trail. It was on the trail. It was not afraid of anything. That's so rude of it. So the boys were on the other side of the snake and we were on the back side of the snake. The snake was in the middle. I didn't know what to do. I just went into automatic mode basically. And I said, what should we do? And Victor said, oh, just walk around. So yeah, that's what we did. We walked around it and continued walking down the path in shock until we got to a little clearing where we had to decide, should we go on or should we turn back? And I said, I don't want to go back the way we came. And Victor said, well, do you want to keep going? And I said, no, there might be more snakes. <laughs> there probably were. Yeah. So in the end, we decided to go back and just go around the snake. Well, we went back the way we came. And this time the snake's head was up. Victor said, the snake's head is up. And he said, it's it's alerted. And I was like, okay. And he was holding Luca, our second son, and I was holding Roman. And he goes on his own, our oldest, you know, he had to walk. And we watched it for a minute and its head was up and it was looking around and looking at us very suspiciously. And then it like lifted itself and it seemed like it was slithering away. And we're like, oh, cool. It's leaving. But it wasn't leaving, Susie. <laughs> it was, it was, it was removing itself to a more defensible position where it coiled itself and started rattling. Uh, no, just like, <laughs> why? So then we had to walk around it in the woods and we gave it a wide berth. But it was off the trail, and I was worried the whole time we were going to step on another snake. And that snake wouldn't be able to give us warning because we would just step on it, and it would bite us and kill us. But that didn't happen. We made it back to the car, and we'll never go there again. <laughs> As we were, like, leaving down the road, we looked over, and there was another pickup pulled off to the side. And this couple, I don't maybe they were bird watching. I'm not sure they were standing on the running boards either side of the pickup. And Victor was like, huh. Well, look at that. They both got snake gators on <laughs> for good reason. <laughs> so, yeah. And then the next day, which was a Sunday, in the middle of the day in broad daylight, we observed a young bear frolicking in our backyard. So nature is trying to murder me as far as, you know, like beauty and in the world, rattlesnakes don't count. And bear cubs are iffy. I mean, they're, you know, everybody likes a bear cub, but there's where there's a cub, there's a mama bear. Apparently in my woods, in the backyard now. So it's been a lot, Susie. Coronavirus, rattlesnakes, mountain lions. <laughs> well, not yet. I mean, we'll probably come across one soon. Bears. So you guys probably aren't going anywhere either, right? The case count is climbing over here in Elk County. I'm sorry. Little little Nico treks out to the mailbox every day to get the paper and then comes back and reports on the case numbers. <laughs> so he's been keeping me updated. Well, Greg, Greg is always saying it's important for us, and I'm not doing this, but it's important for us to keep journals during this time to make note of what's going on because this is a you know, historic 
event that we're all living through and that people are going to want to study to death <laughs> later on. And this is how history gets made. The people who don't have anything else to do during a time like this are writing in their journals, scrolling away notes. We already know they're the worst people, but they're the ones who are going to be, you know, recording their thoughts and feelings and impressions of this time. And that's why, you know, history is problematic, Susie, because the worst people are recording it. So I'm, I'm killing myself over here trying to keep my house clean, my kids safe, fighting off bears and rattlesnakes, cooking, cleaning, homeschooling, all this stuff. I don't have time to write in my journal about what I did that day. And then someone else who is just, you know, doodling along and, you know, creating artistic journal entries who doesn't have anything important to do is telling the story of the coronavirus. And it's not right. Tell Greg I said that. <laughs> okay, I will. You know, I might just let him listen to it because that was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want to mess it up. <laughs> That's my thoughts and feelings on journaling during the coronavirus and history. I feel like if anybody looks at my documents from the coronavirus, it's going to be so sad. <laughs> It's going to be like, well, I was depressed every four days or so, and I binged six seasons of The Office, actually, which is a little depressing. That's not depressing. That's time well spent. Well, but I've already seen it twice. <laughs> That's not at all a problem. I think, again, like I said, that is time well spent. <laughs> oh, so I got Hulu at oh, yeah. and I just added Disney Plus because the Hamilton film is coming out on Friday. Yeah. And I got up to episode seven of Watchmen and then Hulu took it down and now you can only get it with an HBO subscription. And I've already used up my free trial. So I'm going to have to make another email address or something. We don't have an HBO subscription. I have Hulu. We have Disney Plus. We have Amazon. We have Netflix. I don't know. I mean, we're not going anywhere. We can't go on vacation. We can't do anything fun. I'm hardly drinking. <laughs> trying to cut out sugar. What? So. Yes. Yes. You talked about feeling stressed after you drink. That is the effect for me with sugar. I know it affects my mood and my anxiety levels. So it is better for me not to eat it, to stay away. And it's just really hard because I really love cake. Cake is life. I, I support this journey, but that also sounds <laughs> difficult. <laughs> it is. So, you know, maybe an HBO subscription is justified in my case. But we did just, speaking of things that we've been reading and watching, we did buy a, sort of a splurge. We bought the two first two seasons of Yellowstone. Do you know the show? I don't know that show. What is it? It's from cable TV, the Paramount Network. Okay. But Kevin Costner is a rancher on a giant ranch in Montana. Ooh. I feel like that's all you need to know. Yeah, that's enough right there. <laughs> gorgeous vistas, mountains and blue sky, cattle, cowboys, casinos, just all the things, crime, underhanded deals, romance, drama. It's got everything, Susie. It was quite an escape because it's so beautiful. Sometimes you just want to watch like a beautiful a show set in a beautiful place so that you can kind of feel like you're there a little bit. Yeah. I bought the last season of Mad Men so I could watch it as it was happening because I really didn't want spoilers. Um, uh -huh. And then the first season of Westworld was on sale. And so I got that because I have watched all of it except for the end. And I know I'll, I'll rewatch it. 
but that's it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Otherwise, I've never gotten like a season pass or anything. Westworld is very graphic and very violent and, you know, kind of like, I wouldn't say it's Game of Thrones level, but it might be Game of Thrones level. Yeah, I think we watched, was it, I think, I know we watched the first season. I think we were partway through the second season when my sister canceled her HBO subscription. Thanks for that, Abby. That was too cheap to get it myself. It was, it was interesting. Actually, I would like to talk, have an episode where we talk about shows that show and there was a show on netflix a while back called the frankenstein diaries or something like that sean bean was in it do you remember this i mean i didn't see it but i think i've heard of it it was really good actually it just brought up a lot of questions about about what it is to be human what consciousness is and how you know how that works how that breaks down in relationship and sort of like, you know, like the the Frankenstein, you know, bringing the dead back to life was sort of sort of a metaphor for, I guess, like loss and trauma. I don't know. It was really good. It was really thought provoking, and I didn't. I felt like I didn't get the kind of credit it deserved, actually. But yeah, that show, and then Westworld is kind of another one that kind of explores that. One show I think gets it really wrong is Altered Carbon. Did you watch that? No, I haven't. On Netflix, it you know it, it's a show about a future where consciousness can be sort of lifted and imported into new bodies. It's just like this very disembodied, like Gnostic, like the body doesn't matter kind of vision, and it was kind of action packed and I don't know, like a mystery, like whodunit kind of situation. But I found that that idea, that sort of philosophy, that like the body doesn't matter, it's interchangeable that ethic kind of like infused the show and there was like a lot of gratuitous violence and nudity that didn't in any way serve the story but it did emphasize just like it's just flesh it's just a body maybe not even intentionally but it just sort of it just kind of reiterated that that like this doesn't matter this doesn't matter so I, I think there are two seasons, but I watched the first one and just didn't care for it for, for that reason. There's a lot there. It seems to be a consistent theme in TV, you know, like that body consciousness, like yes, integration and disintegration. Well, I, I mean, I think the art always reflects what's going on in the cultural discourse, whether we want it to or not. So mm-hmm. it makes perfect sense to me that that's that's part of the conversation. Yeah, that's true. All right, my friend, it, it is 9.34. We did good. Did we wrap up? Yes, we had a wide-ranging conversation. Beauty, box sets, I want another B. Booze. Booze, yeah. <laughs> Babies, bears, yeah. I mean, there was definitely a theme, and the theme, bodies. Bodies, there you go. The theme was the letter B. <laughs> oh my gosh. What if we just did every episode with a letter? Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. It would like make us focus, you know? Like Sesame Street. <laughs> this was lovely. Thank you for doing this with me. Um, doing this with me. It's a pleasure to be part of it. Beloved listeners, to the many millions of you out there, as soon as we get it together, uh, which means that we have to release a podcast before we can have a Patreon, it's a thing. Yep. Um, we'll have a Patreon for all y'all. 
And we want you to come and, and pay us to do things that we love. I don't know why that would be a problem for anybody. <laughs> That's not, we don't, so we don't want you to just pay us to do things that we love. We want you to be part of a community. And in order to make a great community, we want to have a little bit of gatekeeping. But in the meantime, and you know, also pay us to do things that we love, like eat chocolate. But you can find us on social media. Uh, link will be in the show notes. And stay golden, Pony Boy. <laughs> if, if anyone has thoughts or suggestions for topics for our episodes, if there's something that you would be interested in, in kind of hearing us flesh out, or if you have ideas for guests or books that we should read and discuss, or great shows that we could talk about, or I don't know, poetry. And then I think we will want to talk about, we you know, like reading from the Church Fathers and other Orthodox books or works and talking about things about the Church, things that we love, things that we think are, you know, oh, could maybe use a tweak here or there. We're not immune to the idea of improvement over here. And so yeah, that's kind of what we want to talk about and discuss. And if you have thoughts or feelings, or topics that you might like to raise we'd like, like to hear them so yeah anything else Susie? I think you nailed it okay and thanks for joining us I'm gonna I'm gonna try to end every episode by saying stay golden pony boy please tell me you've read The Outsiders have you read The Outsiders? no what is that? what? okay we'll cover that next episode okay and Rebecca's reading club alright thank you each and every one for joining us today we would love to continue this conversation with you on our Patreon-linked Slack channel. We have the Patreon so that, for once, the trolls will have to pay a toll to spew obscenities and call us prostitutes. But we want to cultivate a community there that we can grow towards an in-person, real-life friendships. Please share the podcast with someone you think will like it. And if you liked it, please rate it on iTunes or wherever. If you did not like it, Please keep your opinions to yourself. Also, please pray for us. Thanks and talk with you all soon. Bye.